So um, I thought I'd better um, introduce myself because there's a few people that might not know me. I'm Kaz and um, with Melanie we lead the children's program here at church. So um, yeah, that's just organising all our great helpers and stuff. So I'm just going to share a little bit about um, what God's been teaching me lately and um, yeah, and then um, hand over to Pastor Noah. So um, Trav's bit of advice for me um, this morning was to keep this short. So he said... He said, keep it to about 10 minutes. So I just wondered, do you want me to keep it to a literal 10 minutes or I'll be back from the paddock in 10 minutes, 10 minutes? <laughs> All you wives know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay. So they say um, that everyone's good at something and um, I'm good at writing lists. And some of you have already seen my uh, organisation for this morning. I've even got it colour-coded, so... There was a general version and a CAS version with colour coding. And um, I like to write lists and um, I even put the little box next to the thing that on my list so that I can check it off. And, um, yeah, and that, that helps me, helps me to be in control um, and to know that what I'm planning is, is all going to happen and um, I write lists ahead of time and I write lists for each day. Um, and, yeah, they just help me, help me to be in control and to know what's going on. Um, sometimes my lists get pretty long and then I start having indents in my list of, of sub-jobs that go with that list and then I have sub-jobs under them with the checkboxes and if I've typed it up, they'll be colour-coded or shaded in a different shading as well. Um, but, you, you know, that's just me and that helps me to be in control but I think it helps me to have control as well. Um, so... Despite all these lists and um, all the planning and the preparation and thoughts that you're in control, sometimes things turn out very differently and, and um, what happens when this happens, when, when you're um, thinking that you're in control and all your planning and your lists come to naught. So um, although I've been a follower of Jesus um, for many years, so accepting him as my saviour when I was little and... Um, and sort of uh, re- reaffirming that commitment when I was at uni. Probably my journey um, that I'm talking about today begins about seven years ago. So um, 2010 was a, a year filled with many challenges and I think um, everyone has a year in their life that they probably wish wasn't there um, and probably 2010 was that year for me. So um, I dealt with a few difficult things at school and we had quite a bad flood on our farm and Jesus welcomed our little baby boy into heaven, all, all in the space of six months. So looking back now, I can see that all of those events were out of my control, um, but I still found myself really struggling. I'm right, Trav. <laughs> I said I was going to be right, and I was at home. It was easy at home. Okay. Um, so for a few years, I really began questioning what had happened, And I was constantly thinking that I'd stuffed up, that I'd done something wrong, that all my planning and my attempts to control things had come to nothing. Life was filled with lots of what if, um, if onlys and wanting to put more plans into place to gain back control. Can you get me a drink of water, please? Um, And I began to do so much to try and get that control back to ensure that all my bases were covered again and that if any such situations arose, that that I'd be right, that I'd be ready and I'd have lots of plans in place to stop anything bad happening again. 
I also began to worry in great detail about the future. My if onlys became what ifs. I was getting really good at imagining the worst possible in all situations. I was gripped with fear, fear of stuffing up and fear of people being disappointed in me. I was taking worry to a whole new level. It was consuming me and I'd lie awake at night thinking of the worst possible outcome for all situations. It's pretty amazing what you can conjure up at 2am. And I had trouble handing over tasks for fear that they might not be done exactly right or, in other words, done my way and something bad would happen again. I was exhausting myself with worry. I was tired and sick all because I was trying to control everything and ensure that the future remained trouble-free. I even had a list of the things that I worried about. But during this time, someone told me I needed a reality check. They said, Karen, bad things happen. We can't control everything and life isn't going to be easy. At first, I was shocked when they told me that. I was, I was almost indignant. I thought I had a pretty good handle on reality. But then considering how I was struggling, I obviously didn't. This was so evident in the way I was exhausting myself in trying to do everything I could to control all situations, every aspect of every situation. What I've come to realise is that the reality check I needed wasn't needing to realise that bad things would happen. Rather that contrary to my thinking, I wasn't in control, nor would I ever be or nor should I ever be in control of my life. As I read through the Bible heard a number of songs and had conversations with many people, I began to realise the fact that I'd taken God out of his rightful place in my life. So I'm just going to lighten things up a bit now. <laughs> and following on from Mel and Steve's skit um, a couple of weeks ago about where Jesus was, um, where Jesus is in, in your car in your, as you're driving along in life, Trav and I are just going to demonstrate a typical car trip for us. And... Um, Unfortunately, I confess this is quite true. <laughs> oh, that's actually pretty true to laugh. But uh, you magnify that by about um, 60 minutes and that's our trip to Albury. <laughs> In Lavi. Maybe the five ways. <laughs> so you see, just like a car trip with Trav driving, I would say that God was in the driver's seat of my life, but I was acting quite differently. I was still keen to put my thoughts into every action, every situation, wanting to ensure that nothing went wrong and that we travelled the smooth road rather than just trusting that we would arrive safely, just sitting back and letting him drive. I was challenged to realise that I put so many of my own plans into place to control life, but I'd neglected to realise that God has already got plans in place. I was trying to control for and plan for a future that I have in fact no control over. I'd relegated God to a passive place in my life rather than acknowledging that he was, is and will always be king of the world. And who am I to think for a second that anything I plan would change the future? And how will worrying about the future change anything? Unless it's part of God's plan, it's nothing. 
Recently, I've discovered, um, or in some cases rediscovered, verses in the Bible that remind me of God's sovereignty, of the fact that he is God and I am not. They also remind me that with him, the future will work out for good. So I just wanted to share a few of these verses. So Paul encouraging Timothy, um, which we find in the book of Timothy, says, God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Lord declares in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Ephesians 1.11 In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works at everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. One verse in particular that has really challenged me is from Joshua. The Israelites had been wandering around in the desert for 40 years and they were preparing to come into the promised land. But in order to do that, they first had to cross the Jordan River. By the way, if you haven't read the book of Joshua, it's, it's amazing. I'd encourage you to, to go back and read that. In Joshua 3, 4, it says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, covenant so the Ark was the symbol of God's presence and power with the people. So when you see the Ark of the Covenant, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. So just like the Israelites, I haven't been this way before. I haven't parented a teenager. I haven't even parented a 10-year-old sometimes. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't know what the future holds. But I do know one who has been this way before. I know him intimately, not only as my personal saviour, but as the king of the heavens and the earth. He has gone before. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And as I continue this journey, I rest in the knowledge that the future is in the hands of our mighty God, who loves each of us and has a perfect plan already in place. So rather than worry and exhaust myself trying to plan for all situations... I just need to move out and follow him. Then I will know which way to go and it is far better than any way that I can plan for. I know that the future won't always be smooth sailing. Things will not go according to my plans. That's good because God's plans are way better than mine. I just have to trust and have faith and remember as one dear friend constantly reminds me, Kaz, and to you guys as well, God's got this. Thanks for listening. So um, I just want to invite Noah to come up, but if you feel like saying hi to someone around you, do that. Um, if you need a drink, duck out and grab one. and Yeah, and then Noah will come and share God's word with us. So good. Well, if you can grab a seat. Um, so good to see so many of you here. As I think we've already shared, if you're new or visiting, an especially warm welcome to you. We hope you feel welcome home and that you feel like you belong here. And um, yeah, it's so great to have you here. Uh, my name's Noah. Oh, sorry, am I supposed to? No. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name's Noah. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, and I'd love to have meet you after the service. 
Uh, how about we pray before we get started? Father God, we thank you that as we can look at your word, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you you've already speak, spoken to us through Kaz's story. What an amazing story. And thank you for her and her testimony. Lord, um, I pray that you'll speak to us as we open your word again. I don't have anything to say unless you say it. Uh, so please speak this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. <laughs> on Wednesday this week, I had a knock on my door and I had one of those door-to-door salesmen rock up. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, I'm allergic to those kind of people. So um, they come to the door and walls go up. Nope, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want any money going. Um, yeah. But about half an hour later, I'd signed up to a new energy contract. <sighs> and I was thinking, hang on, hang on. What did I just do? Didn't I just say that I wasn't going to do this? But it turns out this person had um, come around. She was selling a, a, a new energy deal. And she asked me to have a look at my plan and have a look at theirs to compare the price. And it turns out that I could be, be paying a third less than what I was paying. And so I looked at, at the price, the price was better, and I saw the reward, and that changed my mind. I saw the reward. Now, keep that in mind as we open up the passage today. We've been going through the book of Revelation. If you have just uh, haven't been with us be- before or recently, we've been going through John's letter to these churches uh, in Asia Minor, and, and he's giving us a glimpse into heaven's perspective on earth's reality. He's giving us a glimpse into how God sees the events of the past, the events of the future, and how He sees us. And so, as we open up our passage today, I'm going to read out um, some of Revelation 12. It'll be on the screen behind me. And it says this, verse 1. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, with a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky. He threw them to earth and he stood in front of the woman. And as he was about... As she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And then as she gave birth to a son to rule the nations with an iron rod, her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. I'm going to jump forward to verse 10 where it says this. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. Hallelujah. He has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. This is God's word. So in our passage today, we have three characters of investigation in our story. These images, these metaphors. And if you haven't read Revelation before, John is writing using pictures to describe something else. He's using metaphors to describe an event or a person or a story. And he starts with a woman, with all these symbols. And this woman is about to give birth to a baby. 
and this baby is going to rule the nations. Now, it's, it, John is pointing here back to Psalm 2, which in the Old Testament was pointing forward to a saviour who would come, who would rule over history, who would rule with an iron rod. It's saying he would have incredible power. But then there's a third character, which is a dragon. And this dragon, when it sees that a woman is about to give birth to a baby, wants to squash the whole thing and wants to, to cancel out God's plans of salvation. So he looks like it's going to happen. We get, I, and for a second, I think um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I don't have the answers for Revelation. I, I, I don't know what it all means. But I think Revelation wasn't designed to give us answers. It was designed to ignite our imaginations with the possibilities of what it would look like if God, if Jesus, was king over history. But having said that I don't have the answers, I think the woman is symbolizing the people of God, these faithful people of God who have stayed faithful from before Christ, this nation of Israel, and then after Christ, as, as, um, as the church is born, that out of the people of God comes Christ, this Savior. But it looks like the forces of evil are going to, to win. It looks like evil had won. We see that. Jesus died. It looked like evil had won. And then we see that this baby is snatched up to heaven. That because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, that actually what looked like a failure turns into a victory where Jesus didn't just die, he rose again, and he ascended to God's right hand, and now he rules over all of history in complete authority. Nothing escapes his power. He's not going to fall off his throne. We see this heavenly picture of the story of Jesus is that while Jesus came and it looked like he'd lost, he'd actually won. And so this is, I think, what the beginning of Revelation 12 is telling us. But I want to pause there for a second and go, why should I care? Why should I care? I was walking down the main street the other day, looking around, and there were plenty of people that seemed to be doing pretty well without God, right? They, they were living a, a life. They'd probably look at this passage and go, huh, I have no idea what they're saying, but I'm happy for you guys to believe this just not my kind of thing, so why should I care? Um, I want to bring you back to that example of when I signed up for something with this door-to-door salesman. I looked at the reward. I looked at the reward and I saw it was worth it. I looked at the reward and I want you to challenge you today, if, if, I don't know where you're coming from, but, but would you look at what Jesus has achieved for you if this is true, if it's not true, feel free to leave it all behind. But if it's true, look at what Jesus has done for you. Uh, I loved how um, Taz shared her story earlier, and, and we're going to talk about the power of story in just a second. But, but if God was to see my story as it really was, like, like not, just, not just the parts that I show people, not just the Instagrammed parts, but the, the real deepest parts of my story... If God was to see that, I'd be stuffed. <laughs> and, and not only that, but why should, I, why should God care about me if he saw me as I really was? But here's the thing, is that the message of Jesus is that, that God saw me as I am in my deepest, deepest, darkest parts, and he chose to take my story 
Take my shame and my guilt and the weight of what I've done and what what I ever will do. And he chose to transfer that, a great reversal, and place it upon himself. The incredible thing is that when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus is the one who is with God and in God in the very beginning. That when God created everything, he was the word, the agent by which God created the world. And that when God created, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus wasn't just there. Hebrews 1 says that he sustains all things by the word of his power. We see this incredible greatness, this power, and it's not only out there, but then it's contained into a human frame, into a human body. It hangs upon a cross. The one who made the worlds hangs on a cross. It's cut open, whipped and mocked and bruised, his blood poured out, the very blood <laughs> of the one who made the world. If, if this makes any sense to you, if, 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 if you feel the weight of a God who would see who you really are and then still love you, if that makes any sense to you, if you can see the, the depth of that, why should I care? Because he cared for you. If he cared for you that much, if you were worth dying for for him, then I have to at least see if it's true. I have to, to look into it. If this makes any sense to you, if you can see the depth of the reward of what this means, if, if, if all of my brokenness, if God takes seriously how I live and how I act, if, if, he's, if he takes that seriously but then chooses that that would be placed on him instead of me, Look at the reward. If you, if you see the reward, then you need to do something about it. Because in Revelation, we, we read this, this amazing verse. It says, now has come the day of the salvation of our Lord and of his Christ. Now has come. Paul puts it like this. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time of God's favor. It says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If this is real... You do not know what will happen tomorrow. And if Revelation is anything to go by, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You don't know. If you see it, grab hold of it. And don't let it go. That's my first prayer for you. The second thing is this. If you're a Christian, if you've seen this Jesus and and you've chosen to, to put your trust in him, you know this, right? And then if you've seen that, then we're told a second point. We're told that we're in a battle. Our passage says this, verse 13 says, When the dragon realized that he'd been thrown to earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. Now remember, the woman symbolized the people of God, and so this force of evil goes after the people of God. We're in a battle. There's a, there is a real force of evil out there. It's not a, not a thing that uh, secular, modern people like to think about, but most people in history have agreed on that. And, and we look in Revelation 13, the next chapter, and we see that this evil manifests itself in all sorts of ways, from corrupt kingdoms to insidious powers around us. It's, it's real. And, and in the Hebrew Bible, it's described as Hasatan, the accuser. Now, I don't know about you, but... If you've ever tried to pray, you've probably come a- across a time when it's like you go to pray and, and there's a thought like, hang on, 
how could I talk to God? Like, don't you remember what you were doing yesterday? Don't you remember what you, were, what you were doing in your bedroom? Don't you remember what you were watching? Don't you remember how you thought about that person? You talking to God? And you think he's going to listen to you? <laughs> we're in a battle. But praise be to God, we're given two weapons to fight this battle. Verse 11 says, For they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, if you're new to this whole church thing, the blood of the Lamb, don't get freaked out. It's describing Jesus' death on the cross, as I just mentioned. Jesus died and he bled out, and, the, and it's symbolizing Christ's death for us. But we're told the two weapons, Christian, church, that we fight the battle is the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, as I said, the accuser tells us to look at our past and how that invalidates us, but the, the, the gospel tells us we're not defined by our past. That, that Jesus, if, if he saw my sins, it says, though they were red as scarlet, now you're white as snow. While the accuser comes against us and says, look at your past, now I go, no, I remind him of the Christ that I serve, of the Christ that I worship, of the Christ that has justified me. Romans 8 says, who is he that can condemn? No one. For who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It says Christ Jesus who died and was raised to life is now seated with God and is interceding on your behalf. Who is he that can condemn? If God is for us. Who can bring any charge? Now church, this isn't just something we can know. We have to pick up our sword and fight. Now, as I said, there were two weapons. Now, think of, think of a sword for a second. A sword, if I had a sword, like not just a fake one, but like a real sword, and I had it in my house and I put it on the wall, that would look cool, right? And, and my friends might come and go, like, have a look, and ow, oh, it's sharp, and, but, but it's just on the wall. It doesn't, it's not really a weapon, it's a decoration. It's only when I pick it up off the wall and hold it in my hand that it's a weapon. And so we're given two weapons. One is the blood of Christ, which speaks a better word on our behalf. The second is the power of your testimony. There's power in your story. You could have failed, but you're here. You could have given up, but you're here. You could have given up at that point when everything was falling apart, but you're here. Your haters were against you. Your circumstances were against you. The accuser was against you, but you're here. And if that's true, when the accuser comes against you, as it says we're in a battle, when the accuser comes against you and says, give up, you're not going to make it. You're, you're when, when doubts come, when fears come, when, when depressing thoughts and anxiety comes, you need to pick up your story. You need to look back at the times in the past when God has been faithful before. Because here's the thing. One, we pick up the sword of the blood of Jesus, which justifies us, which says, now I am right in God's sight. God doesn't see me as I have been. He sees me in Christ. But secondly, we pick up our story at what God has done because there's power in your testimony. If God has done it before, he'll do it again. If he's been faithful before, he'll be faithful again. Pick up your sword. So this week, my prayer for you if you don't know this Jesus, look at the reward. 
Look at what Christ has done for you. If, if this is real, take it seriously. If it's not real, fine. But if it's real, take it seriously. And secondly, church, when you enter the battle, remember you're in a battle, pick up your sword. Pick up the blood of Christ, which speaks a better word on your behalf. And pick up the word of your testimony. God has been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. Look at what he's done before. For they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have not left us as we are. You came to us in the person of Christ to save us and redeem us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've given us two weapons, the blood of Christ which speaks on our behalf. Who can condemn us? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. But Lord, thank you that there's power in our story. Christ has redeemed us and saved us. And now he continues to work in our lives and the best is yet to come. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.